1: On Friday, July 15th, three men were cleared of their convictions in one of the most horrifying crimes of 1990s New York the murder of a subway clerk who was set on fire in his toll booth. A judge dismissed the murder convictions of Vincent Allerb, James Irons, and Thomas Malik after Brooklyn District Attorney Eric Gonzalez cited, quote, serious problems with the evidence on which these convictions are based and pointed to doubts about the men's confessions and problems with witness identifications. Allerb, aged 44, was paroled in 2020, but Malik and Irons, both 45, have remained in prison for decades. The three confessed to murdering Harry Kaufman in 1995, and the case resounded from New York to Washington to Hollywood, after parallels were drawn between the deadly arson and a scene in the movie Money Train. In a press release, Gonzalez stated, "'The findings of an exhaustive, "'years-long reinvestigation of this case "'leave us unable to stand by the convictions. He acknowledged, quote, The harm done to these men by this failure of our system. Prosecutors explain that the men's confessions conflicted with one another and with evidence at the crime scene. The men have long said they were coerced into falsely confessing in the case. The lead detective on the case was later accused repeatedly of forcing confessions and framing suspects. Attorney Ronald Kuby represents Malik and Alerb, Kubi said that Alurb is extraordinarily happy to see his conviction overturned, while Malik is still getting his head around the long-awaited wish that prosecutors will reconsider the case. Friday was, quote, the first day he actually allowed himself to believe that he's going to be free.
2: Jahan, A 31-year-old activist was arrested along with dozens of other Muslims in February 2020 during mass protests against a controversial citizenship law passed by Prime Minister Narendra Modi's Hindu nationalist government in December 2019. The Citizenship Amendment Act forced non-Muslim migrants and refugees from India's neighboring countries to apply for Indian citizenship if they arrived in India before December 2014. Read together with a proposed National Register of Citizens, many saw the CAA-NRC plans as a first step to entirely disenfranchising India's Muslim minority. The passage of the CAA and fears over a potential NRC triggered a wave of peaceful demonstrations across India, with Muslim women leading the sit-ins at various places, including at Shaheen Bagh, a working-class Muslim-dominated neighborhood in Southeast Delhi, which turned into the epicenter of the protests. Jahan, a lawyer and former municipal councillor elected from her locality, organized one such female-led protest in East Delhi's Kureji area. Leaders and ministers belonging to Modi's right-wing BJP incited violence against the sit-ins and called on supporters to shoot the protesters. These hate speeches led to a killing spree in eastern parts of Delhi in the last week of February 2020, where more than 50 people, most of them Muslims, were killed while dozens of houses and mosques were torched. Palestinian prisoners will start a protest on March 25th to demand respect for their human rights and an end to the Israeli occupation of the Palestinian territories. Over 4,000 detainees in Israel's prisons will join the protest, which may include an indefinite hunger strike. They demand Israel to end the administrative detentions, an arbitrary procedure by which the Israeli state detains Palestinians indefinitely without allowing their lawyers access to alleged prosecution evidence. Currently, Israeli prisons house 4,600 Palestinians, among whom are 160 minors and 34 women. The vast majority of them remain in detention without charge or trial. The Palestinian prisoners will also demand that Israel cease the expansion of settlements a violent process that uses the demolition of dwellings in the West Bank and East Jerusalem as a method to expel Arab families.
0: Next, we have our monthly roundup of prison disturbances as compiled by Perilous Chronicle.
3: On May 25th, George Floyd Day, Over 30 prisoners at Granville Correctional Institute on HCAV, high-risk security, began rolling protests against the harsh conditions of their captivity, according to a communique shared with It's Going Down. These protests included rolling hunger strikes, fires, altercations between prisoners and armor-clad police forces, over issues like police brutality, new mail policies, issues of sentencing, and other issues involving the daily life of incarceration. Prisoners organized an outside call-in support campaign that was initiated on June 23rd to commemorate Juneteenth.
4: Immigrant detainees at two private detention facilities in California are on a labor strike. According to detainees who called into the North Carolina public radio station KQED to explain their demands, the World Socialist website reported, the strikers are being detained at the Golden State Annex in McFarland, California and the Mesa Verde Immigration and Customs Enforcement, ICE, Processing Center in Bakersfield, California. Both facilities are operated by GEO Group. According to the detainees, the strikers at Golden State have been striking since June sixth, while the strikers at Mesa Verde have been striking since April twenty-eighth. The detainees are demanding that they be paid the legal minimum wage to clean the dormitories as well as safe and sanitary working conditions.
3: Last month, on June 14th, two prisoners escaped Pike County Detention Center in Pikeville, Kentucky. They walked away during work detail in Coal Run Village and did not return. As of August 1st, one prisoner has yet to be recaptured.
4: On June 23rd, approximately 80 prisoners detained in the J2 unit at the Federal Correctional Institution in Sheridan, Oregon, refused meals in protest of poor conditions inside the facility including lack of medical care and prolonged lockdowns. When the hunger strike started, it was reported that showers were then denied to the J2 unit. The next day, a memo was issued by the warden stating that showers were postponed due to continued threats of assault to staff and that showers would be reevaluated the following week. But, according to Oregon Public Broadcasting, a public defender noted that the heat wave in late June in Oregon coincided with the withholding of showers and thus may have been a tactic to end the hunger strike. On June 27th, it was reported that prisoners accepted their meals.
3: Two prisoners at Morgan County Jail in Decatur, Alabama, are now facing escape charges after an attempted escape on June 26th. One prisoner helped another acquire a trustee uniform and leave their designated cell block. A guard noticed that the prisoner, who had quickly changed into the trustee's uniform, was not supposed to be wearing that type of uniform, and alerted other guards who then halted the escape attempt.
4: On July 6th, on work release and court-ordered furlough, three prisoners cut their ankle monitors and did not return to Bonneville County Jail in Idaho Falls, Idaho. One prisoner was recaptured on July 9th in Bismarck, North Dakota, Another prisoner was recaptured on July 21st after a high-speed chase that ended in Madison County. As of August 1st, the third person has yet to be recaptured by the police.
3: On July 9th, two prisoners escaped River City Correctional Center in Cincinnati, Ohio. Allegedly, the prisoners broke a window and jumped off the roof. Staff didn't discover they were missing until the next day. One prisoner was shot and killed by the police on July 11th after a nearly 12-hour SWAT situation. The other prisoner was recaptured on July 13th. There have been multiple escapes from this facility lately, as well as over 12 escapes from various facilities throughout this area of Hamilton County over the past two months.
4: On Sunday, July 17th, six prisoners escaped from the Bridge City Center for Youth in Louisiana, According to Jefferson Parish Council member Dino Bonanno, the youth overpowered a female guard, locking her in a closet before then escaping from the building in an unknown manner and slipping through a break in the barbed wire fence. Five of the six prisoners were recaptured three and a half hours later by Jefferson Parish Sheriff's deputies. Law enforcement alleges that the driver rammed a deputy's cruiser several times before eventually fleeing into the woods at crashing the vehicle. The last escapee was apprehended by Louisiana State Police later that evening following a chase in an allegedly stolen vehicle.
3: A prisoner at the Orsainville Detention Centre in Quebec City, Canada, escaped from prison grounds on July 21st, allegedly with the help of two accomplices. According to authorities, two other prisoners can be seen on surveillance cameras helping the prisoner escape, but did not try to escape themselves. The escaped prisoner was arrested two days later in in Quebec City. His alleged accomplices were also arrested. Orsainville Detention Center was the site of a daring 2014 helicopter prison break, one of two helicopter prison breaks in Quebec in 15 months.
4: Four detainees escaped the Silverdale Jail in Chattanooga, Tennessee, in the early morning of July 23rd, by breaching an exterior door and scaling a perimeter barbed wire fence. Police later arrested a girlfriend of one of the runaways, who they allege aided in the premeditated jailbreak. Two of the four escapees were arrested a few hours later in an area motel, and the other two were arrested later that evening.
3: On July 24th, two prisoners at the Morgan County Jail in Alabama took a car from Decatur, Alabama, business during a work release assignment and fled their captors. The pair were arrested less than an hour later. The two prisoners were the fourth and fifth to escape from work release programs coordinated through the Alabama Department of Corrections since April.
0: Our episode this week focuses on kites from the inside. First, we have audio from a prisoner, Paul Lee reporting on a massive transfer of inmates back in February from Pontiac, Illinois Correctional Facility to Centralia Correctional Center due to an ongoing black mold problem, which had been accumulating at the facility for decades. Here's Paul.
5: Hi, so my name is Paul Lee. I'm a prisoner in Illinois Department of Corrections I am currently at the Centralia Correctional Center. I was previously transferred as a mass shipment on February 8th from Pontiac Correctional Center uh, due to, as the administration is wrongly implying to the public, for uh, deferred maintenance. And it really was based on massive amounts of mold in the cells and our kitchens and all. It was just insane. So, yeah, I'm, I'm here now as a result of, of that, that mass transfer, because they decided to close the medium security and ship over half of the prisoners out of Pontiac Corrections. And we was getting hazed when we got here. The officers didn't want us here, which I thought was weird. Like, I don't think any office correctional officer ever determined what type of prisoners they're dealing with. You're a correctional officer. We're prisoners. I think that it's the events that led us to being massively transferred. Started with so many civil suits being filed about the living conditions. We had rules that was leaking, and it was mold and everything. Then developed inside the cells of uh, water coming in. It was it was just the living conditions was horrible. So I transferred to the medium security unit in 2017, April 17th of 2017. So we're looking at like. Close to five years that I was out there, and there was other guys who was there longer than me. So we have guys who was there that was for ten, that was on that farm for ten years living in those conditions. It was pretty prevalent. One of the cells that I was in at that time, when I moved me in the cell, you could just see it all over the edges of the of the ceilings, the walls, the corners of the walls. And one of their remedies is just to paint over it, right? They don't they don't try to close anything or get the proper, the proper mold remediation firms in there to remediate the place. Their, goal, their mission is just to paint over it. You know, we can, if we can cover it up, it's cool. We can we can pass inspections, but they don't understand that it's going to still come through. It's going to grow through the paint. So, yeah, when I transferred out, there was, like, tons of mold inside the ceiling. And if you're stuck between a rock and a hard place, these are going to mess up your record and... Uh, uh, refuse housing and be taken to segregation because you refuse to live in that cell, but you don't live in that cell. So after a year with me being in the cell, I started experiencing shortness of breath and things like that. And I request medical attention, request mold testing, and even to date, this IDOC refused to test any of us for black mold poison. They're refusing to do it. We've even had talked to a law firm about it, and they saying because we don't have any proven physical injuries, which, again, is IDOC refusing to give us the test, then they're saying they can't represent them. They can't do anything about it. We've even wrote the Illinois Department of Public Health and, and requested that we be tested for black hole poisoning, but they refuse to do so. And I'm thinking because we talk about publicity. It's a negative publicity that would take place. This, this is years and years, decades of accumulation. You know, we talk about people's health. This stuff can go back maybe as far as 20, 30 years, you know? So, several guys have filed lawsuits about the conditions of that prison, and I think that ultimately all of that had got to the director. But I do understand that even when we had our former governor named Rod Begoevich in office, that IDOC knew that the living conditions of that place were deplorable because during his tenure, before they indicted him, he was set He was set, set out to close the same unit that we was transferred from. So that was in 2008, but yet they kept it open. So, again, I, I, I do believe that they knew the massive amount of mold. And then there was a lot of officers, too, that was complaining. We was being told that officers were complaining to their union about the, even a kitchen that they have to eat in. There was a massive amount of black mold up in there and they thought that was, like, deplorable. So, yeah, it was a lot of people filing suits and making complaints. But, again, by being prisoners, things just don't, everything just falls on deaf ears unless you have some type of political connection. So, in 2008, we discovered that it, it cost Illinois $50 million just to repair Pontiac Correctional Center and the MSU. So because they didn't have the funds at the time, that's why they decided to at that time in two thousand eight to close it. So I, I do believe that there was some other type of annual reports that was filed that maybe the wards in each prison have to file regarding the maintenance repairs that have to go for it. You know, we we talked to a lot of plumbers prior to them closing the prison and maintenance workers and they said that they put in requests for funding for to repair things but the wards would never approve it. So I'm thinking maybe that, that there was also reports filed by them. I doubt it, but I I, I think maybe that there is, there was some type of reports filed to them that went directly to the General Assembly or to the Governor's office. So I'm part of the union called Incarcerated Workers of Chicago. They're by the uh, Industrial Workers of of the World, right? So. I was organizing a few guys, having them join that union because it's a good support system for us in prison. And we had one individual who went and snitched on them. And (laughs) they end up uh, uh, censoring me. The institution refused to let me get anything from them and things like that. So it's difficult because we deal with so many individuals who... Fight against us trying to make a change, and I thought I think that's kind of weird that a prisoner who's suffering these deprivations will fight against it. You know what I'm saying? Will fight against us changing the, the the living conditions and the inhumane treatment that we 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 face. The different labels that we're 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 faced with. So yeah, we're 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 doing whatever we can, but we also be asking the public if if they can. Help, you know, reach out and help us find a help us find a way to put it into the to deplorable living conditions that we're, we're faced with. Like again, in the prison I'm currently in, the segregation units don't have any windows in the cells. Like there be no, there's no reason why a prisoner who's in segregation during the summertime should not be allowed to have a fan. There's no plugs in the cell for them to have a fan, and there's no windows. But these guys are living in literal sweat boxes sweat box, and there's not, no air conditioning at all. The officers have air conditioning in their dorm, I mean, in their bubble, but they cover up the vent where the air conditioning can come out into the day rooms and to the cells. They cover that up so we won't fill it. And even the warders know about it in this prison, they still don't do anything about it. It's just that's the type of treatment that we're dealing with in here. We have a prisoner watch group called the John Howard Association, but even when we talk to them, it's like nothing gets done. Nothing gets done. There should be no reason why the officers have this vent covered up to block to prevent us from filling the cool air that, that they uh, are dude up in. they literally sitting in a bubble with coats on because it's so cold up in there. If anyone w- want to contact me, they can contact me at, at Paul Lee B 58057, PO Box 771, Centralia, Illinois 62801. Or they can also reach me at my Facebook page at www.facebook.com forward slash The Simple Words Company, spelled P-S-Y-M-P-L-E for simple. So it's The Simple Words Company, LLC. We
0: close our episode with another highlight from our archive of over 300 shows. We've been sharing important segments from previous episodes to celebrate more than 300 consecutive weekly shows. This next segment is a poem from Philip Roberts, who was on our show in 2019 for an episode about prison writing programs. Here he is, talking about the moment he saw his toddler daughter after getting out of prison. He follows by reading his poem, Daddy's Little Princess. Here's Philip.
6: My first day really kind of broke me. I'm not gonna lie, I kind of broke me because I went to go see my daughter. I hadn't seen her the whole time that I was locked up. I had been incarcerated for two years, and um, she was two years old when I. Uh, got incarcerated, so she was four now, and uh, I was afraid that she wouldn't remember me and uh, so my first stop was of course, just to go see her, so that's where I went was to go see her you know, I was excited, I had butterflies, you know, palms were sweating, I was like, oh man, you know, I told my daughter's mother not to tell her that I was coming just to surprise her, you know, but I talked to her on the phone all the time, you know what I mean, so. I figured you no know, she would at least remember, you know I mean, remember me, but I walked in, I walked into the house and you know, she was sitting down eating her lunch. And um I walked in and I said hi then she you know, she kinda waved at me and said hi. Then uh but then she looked at her mom like, Who is that?
2: <laughs>
6: you know, she was like, Who who is that? And I was like, Hi, can I have a hug? And then she kinda she got up and was like, No, who? like, Mommy, who is that? you know, and then I mean that like, I don't know, man, it, like, crushed me, you know. And that was my motivation there to, you know, to know that I have to do better, you know, for her, you know, for our relationship. Because my daughter is everything to me, you know. You know, her mother kind of, you know, was like, go give him a hug. And that's your father. That's your, that's your dad. And, um, you know, she still didn't want to do it. She's like, but I don't want to, you know, because she was just afraid of me. You know, she started crying because her mother was trying to make her. And I told her, you know, you don't have to, you know, you don't have to cry. It's okay. You don't have to do it. But later on, later on that week, um, that was a Monday. So that Thursday, I went to go see her again. You know, I had a plan. <laughs> I was like, I had a plan this time, right? So I was like, okay. So I had sat down, you know, and I was talking to her, and then I got to showing her old videos and pictures off of Facebook of me and her together. And she was like, "Who is that? Is that me?" I was like, yeah, who was that right there? She was like, that's you. You know what I mean? And you can tell so her eyes just lit up. You know, she actually recognized who I was. I mean, ever since that moment, it was like I had never left. It's amazing. Really. It's amazing. Speaking about my daughter, again, like I actually wrote um, a piece for her while I was incarcerated. You know, I, I wrote it like I was speaking directly to her. And um, it's called Daddy's Little Princess. I feel like I wrote this to prepare myself to meet her, you know, to meet her again, you know, and how that conversation would go, you know, if she could actually understand, you know, how I felt, you know. Okay, so this is called Daddy's Little Princess. You are Daddy's Little Princess. Twinkle, twinkle, little star, as beautiful as you are, your light shines like... Mm, Sorry, let me start over. (laughs) You are daddy's little princess. Twinkle, twinkle, little star, as beautiful as you are, your light shines bright in the midst of my darkness. Your voice takes the pain away. Your laugh can run the rain away. You're such an angel. Your wings have made of gold. He sent you straight from heaven, baby girl. You touched my soul and that's why I miss you. I miss you like the sky misses the sun at midnight, but that brings me everlasting joy for I know that the sun will kiss the sky again at sunrise and I too shall kiss those chubby cheeks soon. You're my life, you're my light. You're my motivation, you're my breath, you're my everything, you're my love, you're my soul, you're my baby, your daddy's little princess.
0: We'll have a link to our previous episode with Philip on our website, KiteLineRadio.org Thank you to Paul, Philip, and everyone who contributed to the show with their hard work and talents. KiteLine's made up of volunteers, and we could always use help. Just be in touch. You can reach us at KiteLine at WFHB.org You can find out more detail about the prison disturbances we mentioned, along with other research about incarceration in North America at PerilousChronicle.com If you have a story to share or a suggestion for a topic, please reach out via our social media or email. This has been KiteLine. You can follow KiteLine Radio on all social media platforms. And if you want to financially support our work, you can become a supporter at patreon.com forward slash KiteLineRadio. Any funds raised beyond operating costs will be sent to folks on the inside. Please check out our new searchable website with hundreds of archived shows at KiteLineRadio.org. After a brief hiatus, we're happy to report that our prisoner call-in phone line is back. Folks on the inside or their outside friends and supporters can call 765-343-6236 to record a message to be played on the air. Please share this number widely and we'll try to answer and air all messages possible. KiteLine is intended as a means of communication between people across prison walls. KiteLine, WFHB, or any affiliates airing this program are not responsible for the opinions expressed on the show. Thank you for listening.